0: Welcome to the Brick Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Jared Callahan, and I'm the lead pastor here at the Brick. And my prayer is that as you listen to this message, that you connect with God maybe in a new way, and it's the beginning of the conversation between you and Him, and the beginning of our connection here at the Brick. All right. So, uh, if you're new with us, we are in the midst of life of Paul. And uh, the life of Paul is really an effort to take different uh, moments in Paul's life, snapshots of his life, if you will, and figure out some practical steps of how we're called to live. One of the reasons we picked Paul specifically is because Paul actually makes the statement, follow me as I follow Christ, like follow my example. So, oh, okay. You wrote two thirds of the New Testament. Sound like a pretty good life to follow and figure out what you did and how you did it and why you did it. And so the last two weeks, Pastor Ryan's been crushing it. Can you guys give, give it up for Pastor Ryan? Yeah. So I'm back for week number four, Uh, and so today I'm actually going to take a period of Paul's life that's going to continue on. We're in around 53 AD, give or take, and uh, we've moved along also through Acts, which kind of shows some of Paul's life. Uh, So we're around chapter 20 to 22 of Acts. Last week we were probably around 15 to 18 of the book of Acts, and so it's kind of the time frame we're in and where we're at in Scripture But today specifically, I am going to take a portion of Paul's life where Paul is what I would describe as angry, like enraged. And for me, uh, rage means passion. So if you don't interpret it that way, you're like, I don't like conflict. I don't like, I don't like those kind of issues. You start talking about his rage and his anger. Then interpret me as saying passionate, okay? Because Paul is passionate, and that passion brings up a rage in him to fight for something that really matters. And it's interesting in this moment because, I, one, I'm going to pull out what I believe can tell you the moments when it's time to fight. Okay? There's a lot in Scripture where Jesus says, all right, back off turn the other cheek. And you're like, no, but I want to fight. You're like, no, don't, don't make me turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. If somebody asks for your, your, your shirt, you give them the whole thing, give them whatever they want, right? There's all of these moments in scripture where Jesus tells us to take the way of peace. But now we're going to find at least one moment in our life, something that's worth fighting for and maybe having some conflict for. So you know, lean forward. If you're excited because you're looking for an opportunity to punch somebody, that's not what I'm going to give you. But, you know, metaphorically uh, jump in. And so what's interesting about this moment for Paul is how often he has the opportunity to be mad and to be passionate about things. And he is passionate about a lot of things, but he doesn't really get mad until this moment that I'm going to describe. Most of the time, he has plenty of excuses to be mad but he's very practical. And, and to really understand the New Testament, the writings, Paul's usually writing a letter to a church or a group of churches, and that's what becomes our New Testament. Two thirds of the New Testament is him writing a letter to an individual, a singular church or a group of churches to solve problems, give them wisdom. And so if you don't know some of the historical context, we'll take it out of line and we'll make crazy theologies based on it. once you understand the context, you're like, oh, Paul's very practical. Oh, that that you're dealing with that problem. Here's how you solve it. This is an issue. This is how you're going to fix it. And there's all of these times where I would be super annoyed. Right now, I'm going to give you a disclaimer before we really dive into today's message. Uh, We're going to use some phrases that might make your kids ask questions. Okay? we're going to use some adult phrases. Nothing. I'm not going to cuss. Not yet. Anyways, uh, but some adult (laughs) phrases that would that might have some questions if you're not ready to talk about it. Uh, you know, maybe Life Kids is open. Check your kids in Life Kids; they're gonna love it. Life Kids, is awesome. It's it, the message is geared for them in Life Kids, anyway. So that's my disclaimer. From here on out, liability's on you. Okay. So uh, e- e- even in like Corinthians, they're, they're, he's writing to the church, and they're very what we would describe as maybe young Christians, and they're but they're very passionate, and so that passion exudes itself in a very adult way, if you will. Okay. I'm gonna allude to this; you'll get what I'm saying, adults. You know what I'm saying? Very adult physical way with lots of people involved. And that's like kind of baseline scripture, hey, this is immorality. This is a particular type of immorality that's kind of like, you guys should know better. And Paul doesn't seem to just get enraged. Paul seems to just be very practical. Hey, here's why you're not going to act on those desires that you have. Here's why you're not going to bring all those people together and do this thing that you know you're not supposed to do. He's very practical. He doesn't seem to get into this moment of passionate rage, is how I would describe it, until we get to a different topic, a different issue, a different problem that's found in the book of Galatians. And in the book of Galatians, he starts it out like he just starts most of his letters. Paul's writing... And he's saying, look, this is who I am. Like, I'm I'm giving you my kind of credentials, my authority. I'm Paul. I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. And, uh, you know, I'm a bondservant to Jesus. And the grace be on you. May the Lord shine down his face upon you. Those kind of things. First five verses. Then in verse six and seven, I interpret of him coming like ready to fight. Like he's saying things that my interpretation of Paul would be very confrontational, if you will. And here's what he says in verses six and seven of Galatians. And now Galatians is written to a group of churches. It's not just one church, not just one pastor, multiple pastors, multiple churches. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion or are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul comes out swinging and Paul is mad. Like Paul's Paul's done. He's ready to fight whoever he has to fight because he's saying, now you're not even following the gospel. I'm astonished that you've abandoned what I've taught you. You've abandoned what, what it is and people are trying to mix the gospel, mess up the gospel and you're not even following. So what's the issue? What's the topic? It even escalates what the problem is and how big of a deal it is for Paul because of who the issue is with. Paul is about to describe a problem with Peter. He is mad not just at the church in Galatia and the churches of Galatia. He is mad at Peter. And if you're familiar with scripture, you might know that Peter is like the guy that Jesus handed the keys to the church over to. Right. The, he's the guy who any theologian, almost all commentators, would say, No, no, Peter is the one who is in charge of the church after Jesus leaves. The, he's, he's the one that spent three years with Jesus. He's the guy who walked on water. He is somebody very important in the in the early church, a crucial figure. And Paul knows that. Peter physically spent three years with Jesus. Paul didn't come and turn his life around to Jesus until after he was dead and resurrected. So it seems like it would it would take a lot to finally stand up to the guy who has that kind of authority, that kind of position. It would I don't I've tried to figure out a way to illustrate it in today's terms. It would be similar to if we were a Catholic church and I needed to stand up to the pope like that, it's escalated. If I'm like, I need, I need to talk to the Pope. This is a big deal. This is a problem. I'm talking to the Pope. It's, it, that's, that's the kind of level of escalation that, that Paul is going to to say, I'm frustrated. This is not okay. What you're doing is not okay. What he did to you is not okay. So we're talking about a major conflict and one that I would argue is probably the biggest conflict in Paul's life after conversion. And he says this, talking about Peter in Galatians chapter two, verse 12 he said, "For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. This is where it gets fun. The circumcision group is the group that he's afraid of. And, and Paul is saying, Essentially, he's kind of being a hypocrite. One translation flat out calls him a hypocrite. Like he lives one way whenever James's boys aren't around here. James, the brother of Jesus, James, one of the disciples. When when his friends aren't here, Peter acts one way. But when he's when but when they're gone, when they're here, he acts one way. When they're gone, he acts a different way. He kind of calls him a hypocrite. Now, to be clear, Paul has already had a confrontation face to face with Peter. So this is not him talking behind his back. This is not him saying anything that. Peter is unaware of because he confronts Peter and tells the churches of Galatia, no, I confronted him to his face to tell him this was unacceptable, that you are submitting to the circumcision group. So what is the circumcision group? That's where we're getting fun. You ready? So um, I won't go into that much detail. The circumcision group is a group of Jews who believe that in order to follow Jesus, the Gentiles, who is anybody who's not a Jew, the Gentiles need to be circumcised. And all Jews, all male Jews get circumcised. That's a normal, very normal practice in their day. And even modern times, they still uh, will practice circumcision. And in the process of that, what he's communicating to him is that needs to happen. Whether they're, you know, right now we do it when a baby is usually eight days old. If you're in Jewish custom, usually very quickly after the kid's born, it's circumcised. He's saying grown men, grown adults, you got to get circumcised. Not fun. If you don't know what circumcision is, it's going to be really weird to Google it, but you may have to, So, because I'm not going to go that far. Uh, and so in the process, he's saying you're about to go through this really difficult, painful thing, and this group is saying in order to follow Jesus, in order to follow the gospel, the circumcision group is saying you need to be circumcised. So for me, there's, there's something to that. There's something in this moment that matters to him. There's something that is a big deal, and I'm going to argue it's not just Circumcision—it's not just the pain of what Peter and James and the disciples are asking the Gentiles to go through. I think there's more to it, and uh, to get to what what is the biggest issue for Paul. I wanna talk about what's not at stake for Paul or what I think is not the biggest issue for Paul and what he's not fighting for, what he's not frustrated about is I don't think he's actually that frustrated at Peter's hypocrisy, the way I would label it as hypocrisy, like kind of having to adjust how you live depending on who you're around. That sounds a little bit, feels gross to me. I don't like it, but I don't think that that's what, what Paul is enraged by because Paul says over and over again, I'll do whatever it takes for the gospel. In front of the Jews, I'll be a Jew. In front of the Greeks, I'll be a Greek. If I have to speak Aramaic, the original language, I'll do that. If I have to speak Hebrew, I'll speak that. If I have to speak Greek, I'll speak Greek. Wherever I'm at, I'll be that. I'll be whatever I need to be in order to win people for the gospel. Seems a little hypocritical. Uh, and he says it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. He says, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. So I don't think what Paul is saying is like, I have an issue with Peter because he's living, adjusting how he lives based on who he's around. I'll take it a step further in in my belief and my passion that Paul is comfortable in even ways that I'm slightly uncomfortable with adjusting his life to win the most people. Uh, In Acts 21, we kind of see this conflict. And what I think is happening, if you read through the book of Acts and you read Acts 21 and 22, I think you're seeing the moment that uh, Paul has, has confronted Peter that he's writing about in Galatians. So it's kind of the same moment, the same time frame. But in Acts 21, Paul comes back from one of his missionary journeys and shows up in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jerusalem is like the headquarters of the early church. It's where the disciples are leading the Jewish people to Jesus. And he shows up and kind of submits himself to the disciples and says, I'm here. And James and some of the other disciples are frustrated and worried. And they say, look, Paul, we have, we've done a really good job here. You know, like pat ourselves on the back. We've won a ton of Jews over to following and believing in Jesus. But those, those that we've won over are still very passionate about the Old Testament, very passionate. They're zealous about the law. So what they heard is that you're teaching the Gentiles that they don't have to follow the law. They don't have to follow the Old Testament. That all they need is Jesus. They don't need the Old Testament rules in order to follow Jesus. To which Paul would respond, "Well, that is, that that's exactly what I'm teaching them. As a matter of fact, matter of fact, I am saying that. So that's the truth." And so what James and the disciples agreed to is like in order to trick those you know, that are zealous for the law. Why don't you go to the temple and do a purification process so it'll look like you're willing to to submit to the law. It'll look like you wouldn't teach. You wouldn't dare teach the Gentiles. This is because you're going through the purification process to which I would respond. That feels very fake. Why don't I just shoot it straight? Paul's not afraid of being persecuted. Paul's not afraid of the consequences. He's not afraid of people's opinions. So I don't know why Paul wouldn't just say, Just tell them how it is. Just tell them like it is. I I am teaching the Gentiles that they don't need the Old Testament laws in order to be righteous, in order to be justified. But that's not how Paul responds. Paul says, okay. So him and three other guys go to the temple and submit to the disciples and have the perception of Jewish ritual while they know good and well, it doesn't matter. To me, that that feels kind of hypocritical. I don't think that Paul's upset at Peter for that. So then there's a, an, another thing. I don't, I don't think Paul is upset at Peter and the disciples because of how much pain they might put the Gentiles through, right? If he's not upset about hypocrisy, he might be upset because it's like, these are my friends, and circumcision is painful. So let's not do that. What if we just didn't have to? That's really painful. Like, that's really difficult, and that's really mean to force them to do something uh, in order to follow Jesus they don't have to do. I don't actually think that the pain of what they would have to go through is something he's upset about. The reason I don't think that uh, is one, because Paul is willing to suffer a lot of persecution. He knows that it, it costs something to follow Jesus. Jesus says when he's on earth, before he dies and resurrected, he already says, like, if you're going to follow me, count the cost. He, he, he tells everybody explicitly, it's going to cost you everything. So if you're not willing to follow me wholeheartedly, if you're not gonna strive to follow me one step at a time, one day at a time, one moment at a time with all you've got, not perfectly, not that you never make mistakes, not that you never stumble, but you strive to give me all, then this ain't the thing to, to sign up for. Cause I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take all of it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask for everything. I want all of your heart, right? There's, a, there's not a, part, a portion of the gospel where we can give Jesus Sunday and then we get the other six days. Or maybe we're feeling really generous. We give them Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, but I'm, I'm gonna get Friday and Saturday. Okay, those are my days for sure. Wednesday and Thursday, we'll split custody, you know? But the rest of it, Friday and Saturday, those are my days. That's not a, that's not a gospel concept. He wants all of it. Even in giving and finances, he's saying this is a representation that you even have my finances. That how you want me to spend is how I will spend. I don't, I don't get to live like I'm free anymore. Now I count the cost and I follow you with everything. That's the terminology of following Jesus is that we're going to make him the Lord of our life. And and in current modern English, we typically just only use the word Lord to talk about Jesus. But when it's originally used in the English language in the 1600s, when we start using the word Lord, it's meant to mean somebody that's in charge. So when we call him Lord of our life, what we're saying is, no, no, no you're the master of my life. You're in charge of me. I'm submitting to you. Yes, I'm your child, but I'm also your servant. Whatever you want from me, that's what I'm going to do because I, I learned to trust you. And Paul is even told the ways he would suffer. So I don't think suffering and pain and persecution is what he's enraged about. I don't think he enjoys it. I don't think he wishes the Gentiles and the Galatians have to go through this. But that, I don't think that that brings up the rage because anytime it shows up again in other places, he's not enraged by persecution. He's not enraged by the difficulty of following Jesus. He says it like this at the end as well of Galatians, talking about the reason these guys don't want to, Uh, just let the Gentiles alone. In verse 12 of chapter six of Galatians, he says this, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. What he's arguing is they're afraid to suffer persecution. So they're gonna try to make you suffer pain so they don't have to feel the pain. So so, So here's some things he's not upset about. I don't think he's upset about the hypocrisy. I don't think he's upset about the persecution and the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. He's also not distracted. If, I, if I'm reading this and I'm looking at, at Paul and I'm kind of extrapolating my own heart and, and kind of layering my own issues on top of it, there are many times I'm angry about things that just don't matter, right? Like I'm, I'm about to rage out. I'm about to social media warrior on these fools. I'm ready to talk. Like I'm ready to yell at somebody. I'm ready to get mad and I find out later on, I'm like, this what that make a deal. I shouldn't have been that mad about that. That's not that big a deal. That's not really wor- worth losing the distraction of what I'm called to do or be. That's not, that's, not something, that's not what he's doing because Paul has chance after chance to be frustrated and to be angry about a lot of things, but he doesn't get distracted. One example that is very common for us as Christians is to want to get distracted by politics. We, like personally. Maybe, that, maybe I'm laying this on you. Maybe you're not. But me, I would like to get distracted by politics because I have certain opinions and certain beliefs that I would like to let people know because I think I'm right. We all think we're right, right? And Paul doesn't. And the Roman empire, the Roman government, the Roman politics are way worse than the American empire. Like way worse than America and the American government. Everything we've ever done, they're way worse. And he says absolutely nothing about the Roman empire. And he's a Roman citizen, so he has the right to kind of criticize him if he wants to, his mouth is sealed. Let me give you some examples. Some of you have seen Gladiator, right? Gladiator is the Roman Empire. Before they built the Colosseum in 72, they had smaller arenas that they were murdering people in for their entertainment. That seems like something to be mad about and to criticize the Roman Empire for at that time. He says nothing. Another thing that they do that's kind of gross, so welcome to church, uh, is they have things called a vomitorium. The Roman Senate, when they do a party, the Roman Empire throws a party. They have this room that's called the vomitorium. And it sounds exactly like what it is. It's a place you go to vomit. Well, what's going on? Why are they sick all the time? No, no, they're not sick. They just eat and eat and eat until they're so full. But they want to keep eating. So what do you do? You go to the vomitorium. You throw it all up. And then you get back out and you eat and eat and eat some more. Doesn't that sound like fun? I'm not sure why that's enjoyable. As soon as I've thrown up, I don't want to eat anything anyways. But for them, they've apparently learned how to train themselves to just keep eating which would be just a weird activity if it weren't for the fact that there were people starving right outside their palace. There were people dying right outside their city. What, is, what does Paul say about that? Absolutely nothing. You, 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 were born, you were, had a kid that you didn't want to have? Born, to, born with a disability, born a way that you didn't want it to be born? They left those babies in the wilderness. Where does Paul write about that atrocity that takes place in the Roman Empire? He's absolutely silent. I don't think he's distracted by politics. I don't think he's distracted in this moment. This moment actually matters. It's a moment that he is called to speak to. And Paul is also also knows his place. What do I mean by that? He knows when he's allowed to speak, when he has the authority to speak, and when it's not his business. Because in Corinthians, we find out about a guy who's inside the church who is sinning. And in the church, he's, he's committing the sin that Paul writes is like, Listen, even the pagans aren't sinning like this. Like, this is pretty grotesque. Why are y'all not dealing with this? And this is what he says about that issue in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. He says, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside the church? Paul never worries about people who haven't signed on the dotted line, like me and you might do every once in a while. no, oh, they didn't sign up to follow Jesus, don't expect them to live like a follower of Christ if they've never signed on the dotted line to follow Jesus. Paul's like, Those aren't our, that's not our business. We're here to love them, win them over to Jesus. And then when they're in the church, then it might be our business. Outside the church, that's their business, how they live. But he says in this scenario, in this context, in 1 Corinthians 5, he's saying, you guys need to deal with that guy. You have the authority inside the church to address that issue. And so what Paul recognizes, he's, he's not worried about hypocrisy, He's not worried about persecution. He's not distracted by politics. And he's fully aware of the authority and the location at when and where he's called to speak. So let's talk about what? What is it that Paul is so mad about? Why is Paul so frustrated at this idea of circumcision and what they're laying on top of the Gentiles and what they're asking to do? It's not the pain. What he's upset about, what he's frustrated about is what it represents for both the Jews and for the church in Galatia. What it represents for them is a communication that you can't just follow Jesus alone. There are some works and some laws and some rules you must follow in order to be saved. And what Paul knows and is aware of is that Jesus is the only way for salvation. And as soon as you start laying other rules and other ways, like, oh, if you do this, then you can be saved. Oh, if you do that, no, no, no. Jesus is sufficient. And what you would be communicating to the gentiles why it's a perverse gospel why it's not the gospel at all is you would be communicating jesus and you'd be saying listen you need to follow jesus and the old testament you need to follow jesus and for our current context you need to follow jesus and my political views you need to follow jesus and this particular thing that i was telling you about you need to follow jesus and my particular version of theology no, he's saying, no, 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 as soon as you mix Jesus with anything else, you end up running both. And what Paul knows wholeheartedly is what it's like to be zealous in the circumcision group, to be a, a, someone who's passionate about the Old Testament, passion, passionate about the rules of the law. Paul is fully aware of that. He's like, I've, I've been there. I was that guy. I was killing Christians in order to prove how zealous I was for the Old Testament, for the law. And I found out that it doesn't satisfy. The reason I think he's so enraged is because he has full experience of what it means to try it as best as you can to follow the rules and the law. And he says it doesn't satisfy. It's the carrot that you get to and you find out it's a carrot, right? You're the donkey following the carrot. and You're like, oh, this is just a carrot. I thought it was carrot cake, but it's just a carrot. And instead he's saying what I found is real freedom, real grace, real mercy and real life only in Christ. And we can't start mixing again. He's saying you're trying to go backwards because you're afraid of what they're gonna say or what you're gonna think of, uh, of you about that. You're trying to go backwards and think that you can overlay your Old Testament rules on top of Jesus, and now you've mixed them. And now you're communicating to the Gentiles that Jesus dying on the cross is not sufficient for their salvation. And by the time you do that, you've run both. When it's Jesus and, then Jesus is not enough. If it's Jesus plus, then you needed something other than Jesus to find salvation, to find grace, to find life. And Paul writes over and over again, like, no, no, I know what it's like to have it all or have nothing, but I know what it's like to be content because in Christ, he's sufficient for me. And I I would argue that he's saying he's sufficient, not just for an eternity, but he's sufficient for today. Give us this day our daily bread. I don't need tomorrow's bread. I need today's bread because Jesus is just enough. He's exactly what I need for this moment and for eternity. And so he's frustrated and, and angry and, and, and ready to fight. And I would argue that there are things that are worth fighting for. There are things where it's time to stand up, whether it's somebody that's of, of a really good reputation like Peter, and it's time because it's worth it because it's getting in the way of the good news of who Jesus is in your life or in somebody around you. That saying no to some other distractions, some other things is worth it. I talked to a friend uh, a couple weeks ago who runs a nonprofit and man, she, she exudes passion. Like you could just have a conversation with her. She's passionate about every topic that you ever talked to about it. She's like, believes in what she believes and she's passionate about it. She sat down with her board and her board was like, listen, this nonprofit doesn't wanna be political. We wanna stick to our mission. So you're, you and your staff can't wear political shirts at our events and you need to kind of tone down any sort of political distractions, if you will. And at first she was like, that's, that's super frustrating. Like, I don't, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can stomach that. And then she remembered what it is she does and how important what she does is. And when we talked, she said, I realized the mission is bigger than all these other distractions. And what I would say for you is that the, the good news of the gospel of Jesus is bigger than all the other distractions. It's enough, right? You've added, maybe you've added Jesus plus. Ah, Jesus plus this. Jesus plus my business. Jesus plus my marriage. Jesus plus my kids being in the right sports, having the right get grades. Jesus plus the, the right financial situation. Jesus plus the right clothes. Jesus plus the, right, the nice house. No, no, no. Jesus is enough whether you have the house or the sports or the thing or the other stuff. Jesus is enough. I would rather follow Jesus on a dirt floor than follow Satan in a mansion because Jesus is sufficient for today and for eternity. So I'm gonna challenge you. I'm gonna challenge you that Jesus is good enough. He's enough. And I'm gonna challenge you to let that inner Paul rise up inside of you. Like, you have a fight in you. You have a fight in you for what matters and that Jesus matters. And the first thing you're gonna to have to speak to is your own heart because that's the authority that I know you have, right? We talked about him recognizing his authority. He doesn't go to the disciples and tell them how it is and then run off and start his own church. He submits to them and goes to the purification process. He knows his authority. So we have to be careful. I don't go down the road and start ranting and raving about how other churches are doing things even though I'm passionate about how we do it because it's not my business. It's not my authority, And for you, you're going to find out what areas you have authority in, and you're going to redirect them passionately for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus, because Jesus is enough. And the first place you're going to start with your authority is in your heart. And you're going to say, oh, I need to, there's like a a spirit of Peter in there that's scared and afraid of what it might cost you. You're scared and afraid of who's, what they're going to think about you. And then the spirit of Paul is going to rise up in you and say, no, 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 Jesus is enough. If I get persecuted for it, I'll do the right thing. If, they, if, if people don't like it, if it costs me something, I'll do the right thing because Jesus is enough and I can't add anything to Jesus and, and find my life in him because he wants it all. And then you might find out other areas it bleeds into. First you start with you, my heart. Speak to my heart, God, tell me how I'm supposed to live. And then it's gonna to start to bleed over into other areas you find out you have authority for. Maybe you're married and you're gonna recognize like this relationship matters. Scripture calls it one flesh. I'm going to deal with it as such. We're not, we're, not just, we're not just cohabitating in this house together. We are married and we're going to live like it. And I have the authority to speak into it. So maybe we're going to go see a counselor. Maybe we're going to have the hard conversation we've been avoiding. Maybe we're going to deal with this because I have the authority in this relationship to say in our house, we're going to live for God. This is worth the fight. And maybe you're, maybe you're a parent and it's time to recognize you have an authority in your house and there are some things that need to be cut out. Like it's not Jesus plus, it's just Jesus. So if there's a thing that gets in the way of my kids following Jesus, I want it gone. Because there's, there's, no, there's no alternative to your example of following Jesus. For me, as a parent, I can't rest on just being a pastor for them to love Jesus. Matter of fact, that might be a negative for them. If you've ever met a lot of pastor's kids, right? That might be a, a problem for them in following Jesus. You've seen pastor's kids who've had trouble following Jesus because of the turmoil of the church and the, the other stuff that goes on. But what does work for kids, whether you're a pastor or you're sitting in these seats serving in life kids, serving in host team, serving in Switch, what does work is for them to see an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ at home, not just at church not just around certain people, but they see you wrestle with your relationship and they see a genuineness in you, that's different than just your title or your position. And if there's something that gets in the way of that, there's something that gets in the way and distracts them from the love of Christ. Man, we'll cut, we'll cut softball, we'll cut soccer, we'll cut all the sports out, we'll do whatever it takes to make sure Jesus is enough. Since none of those things are bad, none of those things are wrong on their own, but there are times when they distract and it's time to cut because Jesus is sufficient. And you're gonna find other areas, you have businesses, you have other areas of authority, and you're gonna say, Oh, this is my time, this is my moment to speak, to act, to communicate the gospel, the good news, because I have an authority. I'm gonna give you one more area, one final area of authority that I'm releasing to you in case you doubted that you had it. And that's here at this church. Now, I'm not giving you the authority to tell me how to preach. You can't tell me to cut my hair. You don't have that authority just yet. However, you do have an authority in the body of Christ. You, you have an authority and there's an inner passion that should rise up in you to say, I'm gonna fight. For the good news of the gospel. And you've already heard Pastor Ryan say there's a sign up sheet and an opportunity to serve. And you can recognize that there are things that are blocking people from getting the good news of Jesus Christ because when they walk through these doors, what they should see is a greeting group of people high fiving. And when you come in and you bring that new person with you, you're hoping and praying that the environment is exactly what it needs to be. And every week, there's people here creating that environment. And maybe, just maybe, it's time for you to jump into that too. Maybe just maybe there's a door with your name on it. Maybe there's a spot in the parking lot to high five people before they come in. Maybe there's a spot brewing there's on, the, on the coffee that's just for you to be the person you're called to be and fight. And you might have to give up some things. You might have to decide to attend one serve one. It's gonna take you a little bit extra time. You're gonna drop your kids off at Life Kids and you recognize, wow, there's a lot of kids in here. That's crazy, they need some help. Oh, maybe the help is you. Maybe it's time for you to fill out that background check, get in there and help lead kids to become fully devoted followers of Christ because you have the authority to make a difference in the body of Christ and for somebody who needs to know the love of Christ. Maybe it's for Switch on Wednesday nights and you're recognizing like I have an experience and I need to be in these small groups to help, understand, help them understand that experience and what maybe even not to do in their life. And it's time to fill out that background check, sign up and fight for the good news of what Jesus is communicating to you in your heart, to your spouse, to your kids, and to the body of Christ. Let's pray. We are so excited that you had joined us for today's message. We hope that it impacted you, that God used it to get to you exactly what he needed to speak and that you're able to take the action steps he's called you to. If you're still here with us and you're looking for a way to give back to The Brick Church, to be a part of the community financially, you can start that giving in two ways. One way is through the website, it's thebrick.church slash giving. The second way is to set up a text giving account. You do that by texting the word BRICK to the phone number 45888. That's the word BRICK to 45888. Thank you for being a part of all that God is doing here at The Brick Church.